The state of California has given society many unique contributions, like blue jeans, popsicles, martinis, even the Barbie doll. But the Golden State is also influential when it comes to proposing legislation. The California Consumer Privacy Act was signed into law on June 28, just days after the bill was introduced in the state legislature. The law gives consumers much more control over their personal information and is considered the most comprehensive privacy law in the United States. To learn more about the new law, we spoke to a lawyer who has extensive expertise on a wide range of issues before federal and state regulatory agencies. And we asked him, is there anything else businesses and financial institutions alike should be doing to prepare for the implementation of this law? Um, pray. (laughs) I'm Laura Sewell. I'm Andy Goldstein. And you're listening to Fintech Focus from CSI. The European Union's General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, went into effect in May 2018. When the EU passed the sweeping regulation two years ago, it was considered a huge first step toward resolving the conflict between big data and privacy. Many wondered if GDPR would inspire lawmakers in this country to pass similar data privacy legislation. The California Consumer Privacy Act seems to be a resounding yes to that question. On the show with us to explore the implications of the law, as well as its impact on the future of data privacy, is Joe Liniak, financial services partner and banking regulation extraordinaire at Dorsey & Whitney. Welcome to Fintech Focus Show, and we want to start with talking about who and what this law covers, um, and I think it will help to establish the definition of a consumer in the guise of this law. Yeah, the, the, the term consumer doesn't really mean consumer. It means resident. Right. So, so that means, like, for example, um, you may be a business and you've got personal information about one of your employees. Uh, theoretically, that could be covered if there's not an exemption available. But, like, holy mackerel. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and um, it also covers families. So, for example, it, if, you're, if, if you're maintaining records about how somebody pays the utility bill, and you can identify it to somebody in a family, well, it's it's going to be probably all of those families, all of the names of those families will be covered. So it's, it's and then, um, then you get to the, to the, to the, uh, the issue of, you know, what is, what is covered as personal information? Mm-hmm. Personal information is off the wall broad. It was intentionally written broad. It talks about any type of identifier it talks about any type of the the assembling of information so you can do a profile on somebody you know doesn't you know you can imagine what you know what google and all of those companies are thinking about that um and then the you know the coverage for a business is any type of business entity whether a sole proprietorship or any type of corporate entity and the the um there's a a coverage determination of uh, there, there's there's a couple of alternatives, but one of which, which is easily going to be met by many companies, is $25 million in revenue, and it's probably global revenue, not just revenue of for 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 California. That's the way it probably is. So that's going to be even medium-sized companies can be covered. And the uh, the other you know the other aspect which you know deals with coverage is California takes. A very expansive view of what it is, what it means to be doing business with a resident in California, and so having a website 
and letting a consumer app access that website from California, even though the server may be in Timbuktu, is going to be sufficient to make to have jurisdiction um, you know, by the act. Is that is that different from other states in the way they regard that kind of access? Well, um, the the law the law generally here, here's the, here's the ten thousand foot level. Okay, there's okay. such a thing as doing it interstate business. Okay, but if a state decides that there's an, there's um, there's some overriding special state concern that requires the state to protect its own citizens, the state can impose its will on you and. Uh, California, the privacy is a right protected by the uh, California Constitution. All of the the introduction of this act is such that this is an overriding state policy. So you can be assured that even though somebody may say, "Listen, we're really do just doing interstate business," the California Attorney Generals and other folks are going to be saying, "You know, that may be true, but still, we've got jurisdiction over you in terms of doing business with California residents." Joe, I was you know reading up on this uh, the California Privacy Act, and I and I saw some I guess slightly more obscure information. Uh, for instance, it covers biometric information. Oh yeah. How right. how does that apply? Can you explain that to me? Biometric would be biometric information would be information dealing with you with with your you know physical physical being i don't think it's necessarily healthcare information but it may be you know your height weight propensities ah, okay. um, um you know you know i mean for example um uh, biometrics may be may mean like you know are you overweight in which case you know we're going to send your information over to jenny craig <laughs> yeah we don't want that getting out oh god god forbid but no no i mean it, and, and but you know there's um the the attorney general has got the right to be able to define what some of this stuff is, mm-hmm. and so you're you know we're, we're probably going to be getting really into the weeds when when the attorney general begins to address these things. There aren't a whole lot of laws like this on the books anywhere else, are there? Well, this is um, this is really a sea change in the United States. Mm-hmm. In that, uh, I mean, two things. Um, one, it um, uh, it adopts many of the provisions of the European Privacy Directive, right. and in fact, in some cases, it's more onerous than that. And number two, uh, the, the law that developed in terms of data breaches and privacy was oftentimes, well, you know, yeah, there was a data breach, but there's never been, you know, but you didn't suffer any damage, and until you do, nobody's liable for anything. Well, that, this, this thing turns it on its head in that in certain circumstances, you're going to be entitled to, uh, you know, a, a complaining party or a class action lawyer is going to be entitled to statutory damages ranging from a hundred bucks to seven hundred and fifty bucks for each individual breach that occurred. So, if you have a thousand individuals losing their identity, uh, that that's real money. To me, that sounds a lot like the way damages are assessed with the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, right? Okay, well, that one, you know, if you ever want to Google it, what's what's crazy about it is if somebody, autom- you know, dials you automatically to your cell phone, every time they do that, the damage is somewhere between $500 and 1000 bucks. And again, you know, you have a thousand, you know, you have a thousand bad calls. 
um, it, it just, the things mount up like crazy. And so the, the, the stats, the, the, you know, usually in, in the consumer arena, when there's a statutory damage award, it's usually capped at some dollar amount. Okay. And, and gen, you know, and in the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, there's no cap. And in the case of uh, this new privacy law, there's no cap. So All this right. could really, oh, it could, it could just wreck your day. You're listening to FinTech Focus. We're talking to Joe Liniak, an attorney who specializes in banking regulation, about the California Consumer Privacy Act, which was signed into law on June 28, 2018. I just wanted to clarify one point. You said when we're talking about consumers in this case, we're talking about California residents. What if um, a consumer outside of California buys something from an organization that is in California? Is that person considered, you know, covered under this Privacy Act? Uh, the answer should be no. In, in that California, um, again, a little bit more information. Um, California has got a number of, of licensing statutes called the uh, the uh, Finance Lenders Law, the Residential Mortgage Lenders Law, and the way that they deem uh, to have uh, coverage is making a loan to a California resident. And so, if the person is a California resident, that's that that's the starting point for determining you know determining coverage. They, you know the the an issue which you raise though, which I think is a very important issue when we've encountered this already with clients, where they're saying, "Wait a minute, we can't have a system designed solely for California and a system designed for everybody else around the United States. Um, we may have to just apply California law to everybody." It's it seemed like when GDPR was passed in May that that was going to touch off similar laws across the country and maybe even a national law. So, I mean, do you envision other states passing similar legislation to the California law? And will this sort of drive to a national consumer privacy act? Well, that, that's a, that, that's a very interesting question. The, um, uh, the California has always been a laboratory for coming up with social remedies, right. which are certainly going to be left leaning as opposed to right leaning. Uh, it is, I would say, it's very likely that other states will begin to adopt the same types of protections, particularly the uh, the EU issues. But what when you look at the uh, the enormity of compliance here, uh, I think it is. Well, I mean, the rumors are flying already that uh, large media companies and social social uh, websites are uh, already lobbying Congress mm-hmm. for a, a national privacy preemption law, which everyone has fought tooth and nail up until now, but now they realize, hey, you know, that might not be a bad idea. (laughs) What happened in this case is there was a proposed ballot initiative that would have imposed really, really draconian measures of privacy on businesses. And once a ballot measure passes, it's very, very difficult to amend it. Right. And And that's why they they rushed it through the state legislature, right? Or most of the reason? Yes, and that's also yeah. one of the reasons why, when you when you read the act, it's there's a lot of ambiguity there. There's a lot of things that probably should have taken a lot more time to think about in terms of the way they did it. But they were they were just under the gun, and it, it was as I recall, 
they they adopted it the day before the ballot initiative was going to be uh, certified. So speaking of amendments and clearing up ambiguity, just two months after the CCPA was signed into law, the California legislature passed Senate Bill 1121 to clarify certain provisions. Let's go through a couple of the of the exemptions that are outlined in the Senate bill. The Senate bill contains an exemption for certain financial institutions, um, which is that the CCPA will not apply to personal information collected, processed, sold, or disclosed pursuant to the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act. Um, can you can you take us through the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act? And explain why this exemption is a big deal to financial institutions. Uh, Title Five of Graham-Leach-Bliley. Allow, uh, requires financial institutions, and it's it's a broad category of banks, savings and loans, credit unions, uh, broker dealers, mortgage bankers, to get permission to use information to transfer them to transfer the information to affiliates, and to also transfer the information to non-affiliated parties. And people have got a right to opt out from having it transferred to third parties. Right. Okay. All right. So. That That is a partial exemption. The reason why I say partial is because what is not included in the exemption is liability if there's a security breach for that data if for, from a private party uh, lawsuit. And what that means is, all right, you've got to comply with Graham-Leach-Bliley and you've got to comply with the California version of Graham Leach-Bliley's Privacy Act. And it's actually relatively complicated. It, it doesn't have the same scope of uh, eliminating information. But if you have a security breach, you can be sued the same way anyone else can be sued under a private party lawsuit with statutory damages. And that is a very, very big deal, which means that – and this is now for anyone who is covered – if there's a security breach – Somebody loses their information, there's a 30-day ticking period after which they are going to be sued by uh, private parties and by class action lawyers looking for statutory damages, which could uh, mean millions and millions of dollars of liability. Wow. Oh, yeah, I know. It's uh, And, you know, the reason – the background for that is this has all been heavily negotiated because uh, the, the, the statutory proponents – were under the threat of reinvigorating the, the the ballot initiative. So they didn't have a lot of bargaining room, and this was one of the trade-offs. Just to make sure that, that we understand, so, so someone, someone has opted in, granted permission for exchange of that data with affiliates and third parties. Uh, the CCPA does not cover that data. Yes, but and remember, there's, there's a comparable provision under federal law and a comparable California provision, which does not go as far as the CCPA goes. Okay. But people are going to have to sort through it. And, for example, what happens when the information is transferred to a third party? I think it's pretty clear that third party is going to be, is going to be subject to the CCPA because they now own data, which was not obtained as a result of Graham-Leach-Bliley. Okay. So there's going, to be a, there's going to be a lot of machinations going on over what is the scope of the exemption. You mentioned that 30-day ticking period. So the, the Senate bill now eliminates the need for anyone bringing a private right of action to notify the attorney general. How does this change impact consumers? Uh, I don't think it really changes them. It changes it much at all because if you read it closely, it says when you bring the – if you bring a private party suit, there's a 30-day notice provision whereby you can correct the error. 
you can't correct data that's been stolen or has been breached. So it's really a um, uh, it's using common terminology a nothing burger. It's mm-hmm. a thirty day waiting period before someone is going to get sued. And again, um, you know, you can't craft le- legislation like this hurriedly, which is what happened. And I'm sure in the next legislative session, people are going to be trying to correct a lot of these problems. Were there any more clarifications then on the on on the the private right of action and what that applies to? Uh, no, the private right of action still uh, is a narrower um, set of data identifying individuals. Okay. So if you identify an individual, and again, there's a reference to a uh, related provision in the California in the California Code, but if someone basically steals your identity. Or steals your identity with a social security number identifier or so forth, you're going to be covered and you're going to be subject to potentially a private party lawsuit. So, Joe, does the amendment, and you may have already covered this, but does this make it easier for consumers to pursue litigation against businesses or it doesn't really change that now that they've cut out the AG aspect? I think it makes it a little bit easier. Uh, it it provides some coverage and protections for financial institutions. I think it provides more coverage for healthcare providers. But at the end of the day, what is what people are concerned about is the the notice that you get in the mail saying some large corporation just had fifty million names hacked, mm-hmm. and that 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 really it, it's very very clear that the the liability for those corporations um, uh, it remains very very high. Right. So there was also some cushion added to the CCPA's effective date. Um, the attorney general yes. can't bring an enforcement action until six months after the publication of the final regulations or July 1st, 2020, whichever is sooner. It doesn't seem like it took very long for, for the legislature to add the six months in. Do you think that means lawmakers anticipate that this is going to be very difficult for businesses to comply with? Well, actually, what happened was the attorney general wrote a letter to the legislature saying we cannot do this on time. Mm-hmm. And conversations I had with staff at the um, attorney general's office indicated that that they they viewed this as being you know as being an enormous problem dumped on them when they really don't have mm-hmm. they really don't have rulemaking expertise for doing it. And there's so many loopholes and so many definitional issues and so many coverage issues. The attorney general said, you've got to give us more time. And so the compromise was uh, July 1st, 2020, or six months after they after they finalized the regulations. And 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 I suspect that that is really still a very, very short time frame uh, within which the uh, the the rule writing uh, uh, process needs to be completed. Do you think there'll be another extension of the effective date? Well, if you're a betting person, you're talking about uh, the over and under, I would say go with the over. (laughs) After a break, Joe will tell us why the California Consumer Privacy Act will alter the way companies conduct business. You're listening to Fintech Focus from CSI. 
Today's bank branches are facing extinction. Branch traffic and transactions are steadily decreasing. However, studies show that consumers expect more when they do visit the branch. There isn't one branch strategy that fits every bank, but there is one element that should be a part of every branch strategy. Find out what it is in our free branch optimization ebook at csiweb.com/omnichannel. Download the book today to start building the branch of tomorrow. That's csiweb.com slash omnichannel. We wanted to talk a little bit about the um, a little bit more about the comparison between this law and GDPR. And GDPR essentially makes consumers the owners of their data, right? It gives them a lot more control over how that data is used. I don't feel like it's that way in this country now. I mean, you know, for example, if, if I sign up for an iTunes account or, or basically any sort of social media, I get the massive terms and conditions page. And like everybody else, I just check the box. And right. I, I think that, you know, we, we're just so conditioned as a society to just blindly sign over anything without actually reading the information. I think the California privacy law will sort of change that. I, I think it'll start to give consumers more more power and control over their data. Um, do you think it'll have that same effect? Oh, it's going to, as I mentioned, it's going to be a sea change. And here's why, okay? You can you can write into your favorite, you know, your, your neighborhood um, Facebook and say, what categories of information do you, do you gather about me? They have to tell you the categories. Do you sell it to people? They got to tell you if they sell it to people. What information have you actually gathered? And they got to tell you specifically what information they have on you. And then you can write back and say, stop it and delete it. And that is, that is just something that none of us are used to, and it's going to radically change the way these companies do business. Now, there's this very weird provision in there that says, well, if we're really giving value to you by taking your information, we can price the delivery of our service to you a little bit differently if we're at, if the value of that data is reflected in the price. I mean, I think it's a crazy provision, but that's that's one opportunity they can have. But but um, for for these data aggregators that come up with profiles of what it is, and you know you you know you you. Um, you you open up your your web page to Home Depot and for the next ten months, you know whenever you're on the internet, Home Depot appears. You know that's the that's the type of thing that people are going to be able to say, stop it. Are you saying that Facebook could potentially charge for the way that they take in data and the way that they use it? Well, you know what what fake what what Facebook can um, can't do if you decide to exercise your rights and say, limit the amount of data, stop selling it to people or whatever. Okay. Mm -hmm. Facebook cannot discriminate against you for exercising your rights. Got it. Okay. They can't. Okay. But, but here's the weird, there's a weird provision that says, except that if they are giving you ascertainable value in return for using your data, they can price their service differently. Now that's not their that's not their business model, and they don't you know they don't charge consumers. Right. So, uh, but but yeah, I mean, so the, again, there's going to be a lot of interpretation as to what some of these some of these terms mean. Yeah, like what ascertainable have, data. Like you, it seems like the the idea of the value of the data and what consumers actually get from it is something that could be disputed in court. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And when you and when you read over the definition of what a consumer identifier is. 
it's it's really anything dealing with the consumer, including their location, their social security number, number any any type of identifier, uh, any type of healthcare information that relates back. I mean, it's it's just about anything that's linked to me as Joe Liniak, and all of that people are gonna have to think, you know, are the are we gathering stuff about Joe, and uh, then you know we're gonna have to tell Joe what we're collecting about him. The timing seems crazy that uh, you know just a few weeks after the Senate bill was passed. Facebook experienced a massive data breach. I think it was 50 million users' records were affected. So have have we heard any more pushback or uh, any dissent from Silicon Valley? Uh, I think that they are trying to figure out politically what's the best way of, of proceeding. You may have seen how all of a sudden now there's, there's a call for a federal privacy preemption. Uh, I think it's going to be very, very difficult to cut back on the scope of the California version, but of course the people will be lobbying for that, you know, for that because compliance with each individual state's laws is proving more and more difficult because you've got to segment your, uh, your, your, your data into uh, smaller, smaller bits and bits and pieces. And then you've got the GDPR, you've got us non-California and you've got California, and so, yes, I mean, that, that's going to that's going to definitely uh, create a problem. And by the way, you know, one of the things which we, we haven't explored, but people are going to be exploring is you may be subject to the CCPA, but you may not be transferring information to third parties. So, for example, some of the larger media companies, they don't provide information to third parties. What they do is they do the analytics, figure out a profile for you as a uh, subscriber or uh, uh, someone using their site and then place the ads without the purchaser of the um, of the information having access to the information itself. So they may have the responsibility of telling you what information they are gathering and what information they have gathered, but they may not be transferring it to third parties. So one of the tasks people are going to have if they're covered is to figure out what do they do, how do we tell people, how do we explain to them what it is we do and what data we've get, gathered or sold. Yeah, I believe the term for that that most companies use is what, aggregate data, where they basically say we collect aggregate data, that data might be shared, but we do not share any sort of personally identifiable information or things like that. And I think that's how a lot of companies have gotten away with this for for several years without having to explain what exactly it is they do with that data. So you're saying now that that companies are, are, are going to have to explain even what they're doing with the data that may not personally identify the user themselves. Well, it's going to be if, if the if the data is uh, is identifiable within the four walls of that company. Yes, because the, the definition of, uh, of of personal information includes, for example, creating a profile for an individual and it may not have your name on it but if we know that joe gets on his internet website at msn we are going to push stuff out to joe and that's a profile which they have identified and and um, what's in again inside the four walls versus what goes outside the four walls for disaggregated data is two different things so, Joe, what are the chances that there will be even more changes to the law when the California legislature is back in session? 
Oh, well, good question. Uh, there's um, well, the attorney general has been given a, a very formidable task of interpreting things. And so that's going to be one administrative action that's, that everyone is going to be focusing on. The You've got some very, very strong privacy advocates who at any one time can re uh, recommence the um, the ballot initiative. And so that's going to be an overhang against just simply getting rid of it or uh, or revoking it or mod- uh, or radically modifying it. So I think that um, will there be changes? There may be changes. There's certainly going to be some problems people are going to be identifying which need to be cor- probably corrected um, on a statutory basis. Right. The liability issues, clearly people are going to be trying to focus in on. But at the end of the day, uh, there there's enough votes there because of the ballot initiative and an individual signing uh, signing up to put it on the ballot to prevent people from completely eviscerating uh, what's in the what's in the laws as was passed. We, we've started the process of talking with national uh, companies who have said, look, we've got to deal with um, the Euro- European Privacy Directive. We've got all the other state laws and now we've got California laws to deal with. We don't know whether or not we can deal with two. We clearly can't do deal with three. Maybe we want to extend the California privacy rights to everyone because we're going to have to build this uh, enormous database and re- and reconfigure our applications because we've got data stored in many different locations on many different applications. We're going to have to identify what's covered. We're going to have to have a process by which we can recover your information if it's on different systems, and then we've got to report it to you. And doing that with one state as opposed to the other 50 states, maybe we want to do it for everyone. So I think there's going to be a lot of um, hand-wringing that people are going to be going through trying to figure out what's the best way to proceed. But I think that you know what we're telling people is, look, until you, know, until you hear otherwise – the most onerous one is going to, you know, ones are going to apply, and you might as well just start the pro- the process of analyzing where your data is sitting, which in and of itself is a monumental problem. Is there anything else businesses and financial institutions alike should be doing to prepare for the implementation of this law? Um, pray. <laughs> We really appreciate you taking us through this, and, yes, and thank I, you so much. I, I love this stuff. Laura, I think Laura's giggling over there because she like she could just tell she's like his face is lit up talking about law. Like I just think this stuff is so interesting, <laughs> and, and and I think because as I mentioned, the implication of this like this is a this law is a big deal, and I I think there's some more changes coming, and um, if something big happens, hopefully we can get you back on the phone because you've been so helpful in explaining mm-hmm. this to us and our audience, and we can't thank you enough. Well, just so you know, and I I normally don't express my opinion, but I have always been a very, very strong privacy advocate. Mm -hmm. I've always been in favor of the European Privacy Directive, and uh, I personally am very, very happy that this change took place because um, I think, you know, in terms of our society, the most important thing is our private data, and uh, this has afforded much greater protection for us as California residents. Okay, nice nice meeting you guys. It's a pleasure, and we'll be in touch. Okay, bye now. That's it for this week's episode of Fintech Focus. Thanks again to Joe Liniak for sharing his expertise with us. 
And thanks to all of you for listening. To learn more from Joe about the California Consumer Privacy Act, check out his insight at Dorsey.com. If you're streaming this episode on our website, welcome and thanks for stopping by. You can also subscribe to FinTech Focus wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a second, rate us and write a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about CSI, check out CSIweb.com or you can hit us up on Twitter at CSI Solutions. We'll see you next time. Yeah.